Hey, I'm Rachel Hessian, the creator and host of the Springboard Music Podcast. And this season, you'll be hearing from President, Jesus Culture Music, the Executive Director, a Production Manager, the SVP of Marketing and Digital, Lead YouTube Operations, the CEO at Adarga Entertainment Group, and you're listening to the Springboard, 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 Springboard Music Podcast. I think digital is going to include social media marketing. I think it's going to include your advertising strategy as well. Like if you're including both organic and paid, my digital marketing person, especially in music, I need them to be able to react to when a song is trending on TikTok, when it's trending on Meta, and be able to say not only is it trending, but it's translating into streams. So I would say social media is going to fall under digital. I am obsessed with this interview with D Diaz. D is similar to probably a lot of you. It talks a lot about church experience and how that can translate to music industry experience. I am so excited to talk to you because just like reading over your bio, I didn't realize that you were a part of Holby and Forrest Frank's altar. That is one of my all-time favorite jams lately. So reading that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm even more excited to talk to her. <laughs> yes, I love that song. It is, it's one of my favorite songs right now. Um, and one of the, my favorite releases that we've had all year. So I'm so glad you like it. Well, I kept seeing the the clip of like leaving the 99 to leave to get the one. Y'all don't get it. Still don't get it. Left a milli to be home with my son that clip did you pick that clip to be like a sponsored ad we picked the clip um and then we did um a promotion with meta so one of their sponsored reels are you familiar with like the sponsored reels that they do so let's talk about it yeah so meta love i love all of our digital partners i feel like um they're all very leaned in especially when it comes to a trending track so um we knew ahead of alter that it was going to do extremely well because what preceded alter was no longer bound by holby and forest um they forest released that he's not a reach artist holby is so then the second song we um they, they just have a great dynamic um and so we released Alter um, and had enough data from No Longer Bound to be able to get buy-in from the partners. So Alter had been out for a little while and Meta came in and they were like, you know, we were showing them like, here's the data, it's trending just as well as No Longer Bound. And they had already supported in some other ways, but they came in and um, one of the promotional offerings that they have at the moment is they'll put a certain amount of ad spend behind a reel. Obviously, like they want to push reels. And I always tell people Meta is a DSP um, in the same way that Spotify, Apple is a DSP. And they have, you know, it's not going to be as obvious as a new Music Friday placement, but they're going to come in and they're going to support. And one of the ways that they did that was they offered um, a certain amount of non-recoupable ad spend. Did you have to like pay anything at all or were they like hey that no longer bound stuff did so well we want to push reels we'll just give this to you yeah um it's not that they give us the spend um it's that on their end they'll boost the content okay um so we'll basically say like here's a reel this is exclusive and then they'll boost it on their end 
obviously we had our own ad plan as well. Um, so we had been running, you know, we, it, obviously it's a, it, we want to invest in all of our music, especially if they're performing that well. So we had our own ad campaign that we were running on Instagram, on Facebook, TikTok, everywhere. Um, and then that was in addition to that. And so on their end, they boosted, they tell us the amount they boosted on their end. And, um, we typically will give them like a few targeting options that we want. Um, and then that's how they run it. You saying like, yeah, we had this ad campaign and ad spend and we're working with meta, which is like nuts. Did you know that this was like something that you could do when you were starting out? Six years ago? Oh no, I had no idea. (laughs) no that's actually one which is so funny that you asked that because that's actually something that I'm really passionate about is this is why it's really important that you have this podcast and it's really important to use our voices and even just put ourselves out there like especially on the music business side we our job is to elevate the artists to elevate the music it's not about us and it never is like I'm very very conservative when it comes to that that being said, I'm feeling really challenged these days to show what I'm doing more and put myself out there more because as a woman, and especially a Latino woman, um, I want other Latino women and in high school, middle school, like these young women to know that this is a real job because I did it. So I love that you asked that. Yeah, like growing up, I never thought I would be working in the music industry. I didn't know that all of these uh, fun, like, partnerships with BSPs like th- this is not nothing that I ever ever thought that I would end up doing um and six years ago just the way that God kind of broke the story for me uh yeah I can't imagine doing anything else so six years ago what happened to where you were like oh now I'm in the music industry if that wasn't something you were going after in the beginning yeah great question Yeah. So initially, like I said, was not pursuing that. I have a degree in communications. So I went and I I grew up in Denver, Colorado. So I went to school in Denver, Um, got my four-year degree in communication, which lends itself into marketing and whatnot. Um, I was pretty plugged in at my church at that point. um, And so I ended up taking a position as the director of communications at my church. Um. Up until then, like throughout college, I had been very much like, even though I was studying communications, I was also like teaching myself video production, um, graphic design, and church was like my outlet to test those things out. I feel like it was like during that time where like millennials were, you know, we were like young in the church. We were either like wanting to be pastors or graphic designers in the church. I don't know if like you knew people like that in your life. Yes. Was, like, that was my favorite. It community. was just this, like surgeons <laughs> of creativity that was yes. starting to happen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that was kind of the lane that I was running in. Um, and then that season kind of ended. Um, I was ready. I knew that it was time to, to find something else. I ended up moving to Arizona and, um, you know, looking to start something new. Um, and in that wanted to develop my skills. And so I ended up uh, connecting with a digital agency back or in Arizona and learned more about um, email marketing, advertising. This was all in like 2017. So you left the church to do this? I did. Yes. Um Yes, my, I, it was just time for something new. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was looking to refine my skills, did an internship there. Eventually they brought me on part-time and our clientele was like uh, real estate companies, mortgage companies, you know what I mean? Just not, not very creative, but I got to be creative in what I was doing. Um, so that's where I kind of refined those skills. During that time, um, as you mentioned, I had left that ministry job um, and I was trying to figure out what I was doing for a lot of reasons. I was quite literally and uh, metaphorically in a desert wilderness season. Like I was in Phoenix, Arizona, literally the desert and also just going like, what's next for my life, Lord? And so that's, you know, the, the practical thing was like, let me develop my skills. But from a spiritual sense, I knew that I was at home and I knew that I was, I was in a temporary season. And that was the first time in my life where I was like, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's expected of me. I don't know what I want. So Lord, what does that look like? Like, let me just dream really big. Um, and it was, yeah, so I started to kind of think through things that I loved. And I remember Reach Records um, had posted a job at that time as like a marketing coordinator job. And so rewind, I had been a fan of Lecrae like prior to that when I was in church in Colorado. Reach was like where I got all of my inspiration from when I was doing stuff for the church. Um, I was also in uh, a youth leader, so I had to be a fan of Reach Records. I had to be a fan of Lecrae so you to take knew, all of our um, students. You knew of the label, because I, I know a lot yes. of people who know the artist, but they are totally unaware of where they're coming from. Yes, I was a fan of both. Okay. So um, to me, like, and and there's, Reach does this, um, like they're, because Reach has a very specific niche that they serve with their artists. Um, we do have kind of this cult following because most fans know that the artists that are going to be signed to Reach are going to serve a specific type of music for them. Um, and so that was me. I loved everything that Reach was doing. I loved all of the artists. Um, and I remember, this is going to be all over the place, but I promise this will all make sense. So I remember like maybe a year and a half before I had been sitting in Phoenix, like in that desert season, um, Lecrae had posted a photo and he had tagged some people in it and like a weird stalker that I was. I clicked on some of the people that he tagged and one of them was named Katie Alberts. So I clicked on her profile. She was the marketing director at the time. And um, she, I looked at her profile, like she was young, she was my age, and she was doing all of these things at this label that like I deeply looked up to. And then also the campaigns that she was leading out were campaigns that I was drawing inspiration for, for like my little church job in Littleton, Colorado. Um, so then a year and a half later, I am sitting in the desert and I recalled that moment when I saw, when I found her on Instagram, Whoa. because when I found her on Instagram, here's the thing is like, I had never thought about the people sitting behind the desk at Reach Records. Like I had seen 
these campaigns. I had seen these signings. I had seen everything, but I had never thought about who's actually doing this because you don't, you know, in your day to day, you don't think about that. So for me to actually put a person behind the work that I was that was inspiring me, but then also to see myself in this young woman, suddenly I rem- and I remember like initially I, I called I was. I called a friend up at that time and we were just like talking and I told him that I had found this person. And I was like, I like, I would love to do that. Like, I can't believe that this, she's my age. And, and I had kind of processed through that. So a year and a half later, when that marketing coordinator position came up, I had recalled that, that moment. And I was like, yo, if Katie could do it and she's my age, why not me? Totally. Did you not think when you saw her on like tagged in that photo, you didn't think like, oh, let me message her and like reach out. No. I didn't message her, but I did follow her. Okay. Yeah. Which is so funny because, so I, I had applied for that marketing coordinator position, which ended up not going anywhere. Um, I just didn't hear it back. I think I just got lost in the resumes. And then I think I applied for like another job that came up that year. And then it was the third one that came up like five months later. It was a digital coordinator position. And I applied, obviously I had zero experience in music um, or digital distribution or anything that was, you know, remotely had anything to do with the job. But like I, like I told you earlier, I had email marketing experience, I had advertising experience. I had some of these skills that were a little bit um, unique for somebody my age at the time. And somehow I got through the process and I remember I came in for my in-person interview and there was Katie Alberts right there interviewing no. me. <laughs> Are yeah. you ser- Did you tell her this story? I told her after I got the job because, well, okay. that's not true. I think I told her in the interview, now that I think about it, I think I did. Like once the interview was over, I was like, hey, just so you know, I've been following you for a long time <laughs> and I really look up to you. And I remember I left and I was like, they think that I'm a stalker. I'm never going to get the job. This is so weird. <laughs> but here we are uh, many years later. What do you think? Because you said that you didn't have any music industry experience. What do you yeah. think on your resume got you the initial interview? Did you do anything unique? Did you do a cover letter? Like, what do you think stood out that was helpful? I don't remember if I did a cover letter, but even if I did, I Katie is told me that she did not read them. So I know that it wasn't that. Um, I I think if I were to ask her, she would say, like, she probably saw some of my um, agency experience, some of my creative background, and then, like, some of the email marketing, digital advertising. That's what I would think um, would have set me apart from resumes at that time. Um, yeah, and then she said that it was like, because we do a video interview. Um, before the in-person. And I think she said that there were things in that video interview that she felt like culturally um, I would be a good fit in terms of like, she knew that I was very passionate about the mission of Reach, the artists. um, And that I would give it, like, I wouldn't see it as just my job, right? I would see it as like, you know, we're building something together. I love what you just said about like not seeing it as your job, but like building something with the team. I think there's a lot of intentionality that needs to go into that mindset when you get, I mean, we call it a job when you get a job, but in this industry, it's so relational and so small 
to where it really is team mentality and mission mentality and not, I mean, it is mission in terms, you know, with your genre in terms of like the music you're putting out and the message that you're saying, Mm -hmm. but in music, it's also just mission, like joining together, linking arms for the next goal rather than siloed doing my job. Well, it's so true, especially because, right, if you, like you said, if you just look into like music in general, everything is changing constantly. Like my job, the the hardest part is you, I have to learn, relearn the market. It feels like every year um, because there's a new method of consumption and there's a new trend or there's something that you have to um, adapt to. And then not only do you have to learn it, but then you have to be able to teach it to your artists and to your team. And you, like you said, that's not something that you check off when you come in every day, when you clock in and clock out, like you have to care about music. You have to care about, uh, this enough to take the initiative to keep up with the changing landscape as well. How do, have you seen it change since 2017 to 2023 in, did you start in digital strategy? I started as a digital coordinator. Okay. So very entry level. So when I started, I was coming in and at that time I was, we were distributed through the orchard. So I had to learn like how to distribute, you know, like not or how ingestion worked, which at that point was pretty simple through the orchards um, portal. I had to learn about um, pitching to DSPs at that point. Like that was 2017, right? So playlisting was king. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's when everybody was like, I mean, people playlisting still matters and there's artists that still really pursue it. But now it's, you don't have like a specific person that you're necessarily like behind every single playlist at Spotify anymore, right? Like you have editorial, um, which is managed by a person, but you also have like these algorithmic playlists and then you have, um, um, I can't remember the name, but uh it's like, that's not specialized editorial. Do you know the one that I'm thinking about? That's personalized. You have the personalized playlist. Um, Yes. So a lot of that has changed. So I think that that's one thing. I think socials is so different now. You heard me say earlier, like Meta is a DSP. I think, you know, TikTok is a DSP. All of these social networking, uh, nobody uses that word anymore, but all of these social networking platforms have to license music, right? So those deals all were, those deals were all like being finalized in my first few years at Reach. So learning like how to see the TikToks and the metas as these DSPs as well and learning how to pitch for opportunities outside of, while simultaneously learning how to build an organic presence for the artists. And you're just seeing like, this is over the last three years, but even just how user generated content went from, um, you know, long form on YouTube to like these vertical short form produced videos over the last three years. And obviously everybody knows about that and how much they drive consumption um, off platform. And so even, I mean, now we talk about it and it's like, basic knowledge but 
three years ago or even four years ago in 2019 or even like, you know, the little Nas era, it was like, okay, this thing is happening. How do we understand it? How do we make sense of this? And you have to kind of, you, you go through those seasons and you have to learn and um, adapt very quickly. When you say the little Nas era, are you thinking of Old Town Road? Yes. Okay. I love that you said that because <laughs> I, I am connecting so many dots as you're talking, like the little Nas era, totally Old Town Road was the beginning of that digital strategy being yes. a huge driver for consumption and like knowledge of a song. I hadn't even thought about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the first time that you really saw in the mainstream because you know you had Musical.ly before. I think TikTok had just, I think it had just gone from Musical.ly to TikTok right around that time. And it was one of those first times that in the mainstream you heard of this song really take off from a platform such as TikTok. How does digital strategy differ from social media strategy? Because in a lot of ways, you're using the same platforms. You're using Facebook. You're using TikTok. You're using Instagram. You're using YouTube. So how does it differ from social media strategy and digital strategy? That's a good question. I think nowadays, I uh, and people might disagree with this, but I really think we're going to differ. I mean, if you're really looking at just social media strategy, it really is that organic the your that organic presence right like you're learning how the platforms work you know they're with certain platforms you're like when's the best time to post when is your audience engaged when um what is the content that's really resonating but then that really does lend itself to digital i think digital is going to include social media marketing i think it's going to include your advertising um strategy as well like you're including both organic and paid um so I would say social media is going to fall under digital. Like I, I would never, I, my digital marketing person, especially in music, I need them to be able to um, react to when a song is trending on TikTok, when it's trending on Meta and be able to say, not only is it trending, but it's translating into streams. Um, so yeah, it, it includes organic, paid, um, and includes email marketing, which still is very relevant today. Um, yeah, I think there's a huge misconception of email marketing that people are like, Oh, that's so archaic emails. Nobody uses emails. I always use the example of like, when I get that crumble cookie weekly email, you best believe I am opening it up to see what their weekly flavors are. So what is an example of like that you can point back to, to be like, Hey, everybody, I know that you still care about email marketing. And here's how I know that. This might be like a little bit abstract, but I'm hoping that I can call out something very specific. Um, but I think like from just a community building perspective, it still deeply matters, right? Like, um, your, it's, it's, the people that are engaging it, engaging with email are going to be a little bit further down the funnel. Um, if it's, if there's something like really specific, like a value add, whether it's a, um, an exclusive, um, free piece of merch or an exclusive discount, or even just like pre-sale codes, things like that, where an artist is utilizing their email list, um, for announcing a tour, announcing a merch drop. And if you're leveraging social media 
to funnel people into those lists and into that um, attention that um, I think is, is showing like that importance of email. And I, and when you're promising like, Hey, this is what you're going to be receiving and you follow through with that, um, people are consistently signing up. Um, and especially if you're, if you're continuing to nurture that email as well, or the, sorry, that list, if you're, if you're nurturing that list as well. I totally agree with that. I think a huge benefit of email marketing is it not algorithmic, like it's not algorithm based. So like, yes. So like, if you're a fan of something, like you might follow it, but you definitely could miss a presale or definitely miss a merch giveaway or definitely miss a show in your area. You're on the email list. There's really, it's on you if you miss it. It's not on anybody else. Even for myself as a consumer, I love Carol G. Um, She's one of my favorite artists. And she had said ahead of her last album that she wasn't going to tour that album. And I remember being devastated. And then of course, like months later, she decided to announce that she was touring, but somehow I completely missed it. Like, no, it was one of those where like, there was a cute reel and I completely missed the announcement. But then in my inbox, I had a little pre-sale goes live tomorrow. It was bands in town. So it's not like directly her email list, but it's also a form of email, which every artist can build a a unique list on bands in town if they want to, um, or through bands in town and build an audience through that. And immediately I was able to, you know, join the pre-sale and you just have to, it's about, um, It's about knowing those different channels and making sure that you're optimizing across all of those different ones, which back to your question with social media. um, Like I I have been thinking about this a lot, just how social media managers, uh, the social media manager role is so different than it was six years ago um, because these algorithms have gotten much more complicated and you're now dealing with multiple, like so many more platforms than you were back then. Um, and you know, when there's a new feature, it's like, you have to get on this new feature because you know that the algorithm is going to favor this new feature. So you gotta like do it, um, and jump on it. Um, and it's really important, you know, to, for a social media manager to understand, like, not only are there all of these different platforms, but then also with digital marketing, hopefully you have multiple people on your team where you're able to, uh, tackle all of those things. Maybe you're not going to be able to at once, but there's just so much out there. It's really difficult for one person to be able to optimize all of it, right? Um, so that was a little bit of a of a tangent, but uh, just thinking through like how to uh, have enough people on a team to be able to, to look through those different things. And you might not be able to do it all at once for sure, um, but hopefully you're able to build over time. Well, and I think what you said in that was really important of the algorithm will favor the new feature and so yes. staying on top of those changes. And I know algorithms change constantly. So is there a resource that you like a public resource that you like to stay up to date on what's happening with all of these platforms? Like you said, it's so much to keep track of near impossible for one person to keep track of it all and do it effectively. Is there a place that you go to continue to educate yourself on the new features and algorithms? 
So for myself, yeah, I don't really like, I feel like publications typically are a little bit late. So I don't necessarily go to publications. I like to get my information specifically from those platforms because they're going to report on that immediately, right? Because it's there, it's, it's in there, um, in there, uh, it benefits them to, to talk about them so quickly. So for Instagram specifically, I love Instagram creators, like the Instagram creators account, because they're just constantly rolling out new things. Um, another hack is like, I'm, you know, sometimes you'll, notice like a new beta feature not everybody has that um but just like paying attention like if there you get a notification for like something beta or you just like stay in communication like i always have my team um i try to make sure that everybody is like aware of like um if they get a notification for like broadcast channels was a thing a few months ago and we were like okay what do we need to do to jump on that um another thing that like for this is more specifically to people that work in labels but making sure that with your platforms that you're signed up for um the internal music partners newsletters a lot of our reps will send out specifically with meta and tiktok they do this they'll send out um weekly and monthly newsletters with uh new features and a lot of times they're they haven't even been announced to the public yet so i try to get on that for an independent artist i would say like reach out to a distro kid um or if you have a rep or somebody like that to see if you can get on a similar newsletter i assume distro kid probably has their own those are excellent hacks and i love how you broke it down for like if you work at a label if you are an indie if you this like that is so helpful even though I get a lot of our information from our reps, like a lot of these independent distribution companies have amazing newsletters and have great ongoing um, education on, a, on their platforms and on their accounts. And so like for an independent artist, it's like follow DistroKid if you're on DistroKid, but also like follow Symphonic's account, follow Amuse, follow United Masters, because a lot of their content is catered towards independent artists and independent labels as well. Um, and it's really good to see like what your competitors are kind of reporting on and what they're, um, what they're encouraging independent artists to do, just like expanding that repertoire of knowledge. You've referenced a couple times your team. So I want to touch base and congratulate you on your promotion that took place in 2023 of senior vice president of digital strategy. Thank you. What is that like? You said you started six years ago, no experience in the music industry, and now you're a senior vice president. What the heck? How did that happen? Insane. Insane. Well, first of all, I have to brag on the label and the leaders. Um, so Ben is our CEO, Lecrae is president and co-founder um, of the label. And they truly, in the same way that they've developed so many artists over the years, uh, they also believe in developing talent at Reach. And I'm very, very thankful that they were willing to invest that time into me, invest into me by hiring me, first of all. Um, and then you know, allowing me opportunities to try new things, to grow. And this is a great company where like you're constantly being challenged 
and and learning. Um, so I'm thankful to to have been poured into all these years by then by them. Um, and thank you so much for the congratulations over the years. I did, like I said earlier, I came in as a digital coordinator. I worked directly under Katie. The digital department was just her and I for a few years. And, um, it's just so funny that I followed her on Instagram and now she's one of my, um, very good friends. She was my boss until this year. And now I report directly to Ben, our CEO. Um, so I, worked under her eventually she became um the head of operations which then allowed me to begin overseeing our digital department um so i would have been around 2020 um and then i was brought on to the executive table in 2022 as the vp of digital and then this year we did merge our marketing and digital departments so now i'm overseeing both, which is just a whole new challenge in and of itself. Um, uh, running our digital department has been such an honor over the years, and I definitely feel like I am digital-minded. Um, I am always thinking about new platforms. I'm always thinking very strategically. Um, and so this year presents a new challenge and that my team is much bigger. We're also, it's a, it's a company restructure, if you really think about it, because Previously, we were digital and marketing. So we always worked very closely together, but um, at the end of the day, different departments. Um, so overseeing a company restructure, overseeing people that I had already been working with, and now not only in charge of digital strategy, but also the creative storytelling um, content side of it as well. It's all very new. Um, but I'm extremely, extremely grateful. The team is amazing. It's been um, an exciting transition. And, you know, releases like Alter, um, Look Raise Your Power. It, it's been really fun to explore, like, okay, I understand the, the, the strategy side of it. I understand, like, when to react when a song is trending. I understand what levers to pull on the digital side. But then, like, from the creative inception side, like, who are we trying to reach? Why are we trying to reach them? What is this content saying about the artists? What con like, how do we um, create a trending sound, which I've always been under the impression that like, it's easier to react to, to something that, well, that's not, I haven't been under the impression I know this. It's a lot easier to react to something than to try to manifest something. That being said, um, if you have the resources to try to make something happen, why not, you know? Um, so it's just, it's an entirely new challenge that uh, I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity for. To be so young and to be a senior vice president of really two departments, marketing and digital, what are some learn like lessons that you've learned or some insights that you have from this chapter that started? Great question. I think I'm still learning them. Um, one, I think transparency is just really important in this role. Um, and I've always tried to lead with transparency and humility. I try to not guarantee anything, which I don't know. I think like there was a time where I would have wanted to be able to say like, hey, dear artist or dear client, I can take you from point A to point B if you do X, Y, and Z. 
Whereas now it's more of a, hey, I think you have, we have the potential to get here. And here are some different avenues in which we can do this. And I'm down to do this with you. Um, like I've never guaranteed a playlist placement. Most people that are work that work in digital know, like you can't ever guarantee anything like that. And now it's kind of the same thing where it's like, hey, I can't guarantee that this is going to go viral, but I can guarantee that I'm going to do everything that I can in the process. And I can guarantee that I'm down to test as much as we can. Um, and just being okay with saying like, I don't know what I don't know, but this business is all about consistently um, learning. Like I said earlier, you know, it's an industry that's always changing and you have to be willing to um, adapt and, and be willing to admit like, this is a new platform and I don't really know. Um, I can't guarantee anything, but I'm willing to, to go through it for you. So all about to say transparency. <laughs> well, and I think what you said too is really important. I think that that is a common theme I've heard doing these episodes is to be in the music industry. You need to be a lifelong learner and have adaptability. And I think adaptability and flexibility are different, but it's really a superpower if they can go hand in hand. Um, And so I, I, love hearing you say that in your department as well, that it's constantly changing. So you need to learn the change and then Mm -hmm. you need to be able to implement the change with adaptability. Absolutely. That's really well said. Yeah. Well, and I love what you said about the transparency as well. I think there's kind of this between labels and artists, there's kind of the smoke and mirrors sometimes because you want to protect the relationship or make sure the artist always feels yeah. better too. But there is this element of like the artist signed with you because they trust you to be a team member. And there yes. has to be communication in a team and there has to be transparency because if something's not working, maybe there's something they can adjust on their end. Yes, absolutely. And that trust component is so important, not only with the artists, but with our internal team of other departments. Um, we're spending time with our A&R team this afternoon because that's, you know, that's something that we care about. Like the music gets done and then it gets passed over to us. And, you know, you spent all this time working on something. That's something that I try to like remember every single day is that I've been handed something that somebody and multiple people spent a lot of time on. And a song, music, like it is a very vulnerable process that somebody is going through in order to create something that's going to bring a lot of joy to the masses. And so when when a song gets done and it gets passed over to us, it's really important that the team whether it's the the artist, their management team, the A&R team, like they know that it's being dealt with with as much care and intentionality as they initially put into it. And um, that's not to say that like our intentions always come across that way, right? Like there's going to be conflict always, but hopefully you're willing to have those conversations and to create that time um, to build trust with those teams. I love, love, love that, that you said it's important that the artists and their team feels like we are steward, like I'm paraphrasing. You're stewarding their art. No, that's that's literally the word that I say. (laughs) Yes. With, with care. And like, 
it just as much intentionality as they created it with. That is something to never forget. And it's so easy to when you're in the Very rat easy. race. You've mentioned a couple of times in this interview that you're a Latina woman, which I love because there is, there are very, very few Latinas in the CCM Christian music space. Um, And you sit on the board of A2IM. What is that? So A2IM is the uh, trade association in the United States for independent music. Um, So I love that you asked that because I love to tell people about A2IM, um, especially in the CCM space it's made up of a membership of um a lot of independent labels that are in the u.s some are like have branches in the u.s but they also you know are started in other parts of the world um so like secretly group is a member sub pop um very iconic labels um make up the membership and essentially what they do is they build community, provide community for these labels. I think when you're an independent label and an independent artist, you're constantly just like trying to make things step up as you go (laughs) Um, and always learning. Like there's no existing structure, right? Um, In the way that, you know, a major um, would have for for its team and for its subsidiaries. So to have that community and be able to compare notes and to meet different people that are in similar um, positions and doing similar things, but maybe different genres, um, you're just able to learn a lot. So they do, you know, they host like an indie week uh, every year in New York. um, And it's a lot of different panels for, you know, your team members to be able to participate in. They have these community events that you can be a part of. DSPs come out and you can connect with their rep. Like a lot of younger labels, that's a great resource to be able to connect with DSP partners. Um, And they have a lot of other resources. They do a lot of advocacy as well. Um, They, I can't speak as much to this, but I sit in these board meetings. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Um, But yeah, like they, they have lobbyists on the team that are going to DC and they're advocating for songwriter rights and artist rights and label rights. Like, and they're, they deeply care about rights holders. Um, and so that's the organization that I'm a part of. And I joined the board. This is my second year. So about just a little over a year ago. And it's just been an incredible um, experience being able to, to sit among just absolute legends that have broken some of my favorite artists. Um, it's been a huge honor to be a part of that. With your position at A2IM, and your new role as Senior Vice President of Marketing and Digital at Reach, and just the opportunities that you have in digital and in marketing for the Christian music space, do you see, do you believe we've capped at our potential for diversity? Or do you see continuous glimpses of hope of like, oh, we're just getting started. It's just going to get better. And how do you think using those roles can help implement that? Beautiful question. I don't believe that we've capped. I think that there's so much opportunity. Um, And again, it's it's about creating that access, right? It's why I love what you said earlier. Uh, Or the first question that you asked me, did I think that I would end up here? No, I didn't. But I'm glad that I stumbled upon Katie's Instagram that day and saw an opportunity that would then push me into where I am now a year and a half later. Um, 
And I think the more that we elevate the stories of women in in our space and women of color, I think like your platform is a beautiful way to do that. And I love that you're leveraging it to do that. Um, and as long as, uh, you know, we do push ourselves in and join these boards, I think I hopefully we can inspire and create visibility so that younger women can see themselves in us and not have to even go through college and try all of these jobs before they finally like see an opportunity, but they're dreaming about it in middle school and in high school and they're, they're uh, going to school and they're going to college with the mindset that they will be working in the music industry and in entertainment, um, television or, or film, whatever it is, knowing that it's very much attainable and that there's, there's opportunities for them. Um, and I, I care about that on the music business side, and I really care about that on the uh, production and engineering side. As you mentioned, there's not a lot of Latinas that are in the music industry, but especially like those numbers on the, the music creation side are even, I think it's like less than 1% or something oh, crazy, yeah. Oh, yeah. crazy statistic. It's shocking. It's insane. So... Yeah, um, like we we we're doing some things intentionally as a label to to um, figure out how we can host you know different camps and educational services for girls just as young as middle school um, mm. to create that excitement, right? Like mm. to create a space where people can dream as young as twelve years old and and be ahead of it. And um, so to answer your question, we have not capped in my prayer and hope is that um, everybody, not just, not just the women, not just the women of color, not just the people of color, but as an industry that we would deeply care about this and continue to create opportunities for younger um, people of color and, and women of color and marginalized communities to um, see themselves in, uh, in these positions and um, yeah, just have a much more diverse industry. I think that's what's so inspiring though about your story is you were a fan of a label and of an artist and then you saw a post, you looked to see who was tagged and you're like, "Hey, that person's like me. They're my mm-hmm. age and they do this. I could do that." So then you started looking up job opportunities and now here you are. Yeah. When you think about being a fan of Lecrae and seeing Katie on the Instagram and living in Colorado and Arizona, and now doing this six years later, would you say you're living the dream? Oh, that's an amazing question. I think I'm absolutely living God's dream. Uh, I think I, and which is now obviously my dream. Um, and I think that that's constantly evolving, but I'm really thankful because it's certainly not the dream that I originally had, not because I wouldn't have wanted it, but because I didn't access it right like I didn't know you don't know what you don't know and so uh yeah I think God put different scenarios in my life that led me to find that um that Instagram post and and um he opened up doors for me and then he started to cultivate a dream inside of my heart that I can yes 100% confidently say I am 
living that. And it's exciting to think if I continue on that path and continue to surrender and then believe that what he has in store for me is greater than what I ever could imagine. It just makes me even more excited to think about what the future looks like, um, not necessarily just for myself, but for um, our artists and the people around us and our community and even just the CCM world. Thanks for listening to the Springboard Music Podcast. If there's something that resonated with you in this episode or an episode that you would like for us to create in the future, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at Springboard Music on Instagram.